Hi, you're listening to Tales from the Jungle, Living with Addiction. This is a podcast written and produced by a mom of an addict, specifically for other families who live with and or interact with an addicted family member. This is part two of my interview with my husband, Richard. He has a great way of telling stories, and if we don't laugh at ourselves, we will just drown in self-pity. I'm sure everyone has such stories, and it's just a matter of looking at the humor of these unbelievable situations. Welcome back, Jungle fans. I've mentioned before that dealing with all this emotional baggage can be overwhelming. The best way our family knows how to deal with these types of situations is to laugh at ourselves. My husband, Richard, is the best storyteller of the family, and I wanted to treat everyone to his humor and stories. Hi, Richard. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Chelsea. How you doing? By the way, I love your name. Thank you. As we reflect back, why don't we go to Casey's very first trip to rehab? I believe you had to drive her to Nashville, about a 300-mile trip. And as I recall, I was thinking it would be great father-daughter time without me there. Didn't you? No. (laughs) Certainly didn't. But um, it was an interesting trip. I mean, the the key part of the trip is she had to be at our house at 7 a.m. That was her choice. And if she made that choice to be there at 7 a.m., I was taking her to Nashville, and it was a 600-mile round trip, but I was taking her to Nashville. But uh, our concern was it's a long trip, and we wanted to make sure she didn't go through any kind of uh, uh, detox or get sick or have a medical emergency. So um, I'm not saying this is the thing to do, but I told her that she needed to come uh, prepared. Prepared <laughs> with with her medicine, as we call it. Okay. And so then when she got to the house, what did she look like? She was lit up. Absolutely like a Christmas tree. Okay. So got her in the car before she could change her mind and, and started driving to Nashville. So um, what I didn't know about her drug of choice is she just basically sleeps the whole time. So she slept for the first three hours. And her drug of choice was heroin. Yes, yes, it was. Her DOC. Okay. So after about three hours, she did wake up, um, to my chagrin, and um, decided she was ravishingly hungry. I mean, had to eat, needed food badly in the next few minutes. So, you know, in the middle of nowhere, I found one of those gas station places and um, got her food. Didn't think much of it. But she also had to have this cigarette container that was bedazzled. It was a cigarette case. Like a case. She had this beautiful bedazzled silver case with glittery things all over it. It was just awful. But but what (laughs) else are you going to get at a road stop, right? So, you know, three hours later, we get to to Nashville. Uh, I find the – and it's first the detox for a week. And then right next door is where they go through their – uh, recovery for 30 days or so. 
I want to interject for just a minute here. The original intent was never for her to go for 30 days. However, in her mind, it was. She wanted to go just long enough to pacify us and then be able to have us support her after that. So we, going into the whole rehab process the very first time, we both had very different agendas and obviously it wasn't the best scenario because it didn't take. But when you're going in the first time, you don't always know that. So back to the story, Richard, why don't you continue with um, checking her in and, and everything that happened then? Well, f first of all, she wasn't going to get out of the car. She, she, they just flat out wouldn't get out. So we probably spent an hour negotiating, discussing uh, paper, scissors, rocks. <laughs> what well, was her plan coming back home if she thought that she wasn't she drove all the way down there what what did she think she was going to do if she came back home she wasn't coming back home as you remember at that time she wasn't living at home so she was just going to come back to her I home, meant base. Our home city yeah I, I don't know what her thought process was but my thought process was um i was driving home alone period <laughs> but we so we came to a negotiation and she saw walmart on the way in the last, like, it must have been three miles away from, and this is the middle of nowhere, but uh, about three to five miles away was a Walmart. And she said, okay, I will go in, but you got to do two things. You got to go get me flip-flops because I want to walk around flip-flops while I'm in there. Okay, I can do that. And you need to buy me underwear. And I go, buy you underwear. So so envision this old guy wandering around Walmart in the, in the girl's underwear section <laughs> Asking people questions about sizes. It was actually a ladies because she was over 20 by that time. However it was, I'm, I'm, having to, I'm having to walk through the Walmart underwear aisle to buy my kid underwear and flip-flops. So what uh, made it even more interesting is you go to the checkout line. You know, you usually have a, a bunch of things you check out at a store with. And uh, I checked out with girls' underwear and flip-flops, which... Got quite the unique look from the bagger and from the uh, the clerk. Kind of looked at it, looked at me, looked at it, looked at me. Then I left, and I guarantee <laughs> they were talking about me. <laughs> well, your background working in a grocery store, you know exactly what they were saying. Oh yeah, yeah. Did you see? You see that loser? <laughs> <laughs> so you get back to the rehab, and you give her. And she's already in. I mean, I, I, she's in. She's checked in. I gave it to the front desk. They took it back to her. Um, what's interesting is later I, I asked her about all this, and she goes, I have no memory. I woke up like two days later from the first detox, and I had this bedazzled cigarette holder, and I had no idea where that came from. I thought maybe somebody left it here. I had, I had underwear that didn't fit. <laughs> and some real cheap flip-flops. So I had no idea where all that stuff came from. Wow. Okay, so what's your takeaway from this whole thing? I mean, we talked about the like, our different expectations of her expectation going in, how long she thought it would be. She actually had run away at the 30-day mark when I told her I wanted her to stay longer. And that was a whole nother story. But I think... What did we learn from our first time taking her into rehab? I'm not, I'm not sure how much I learned the first time, other than I did have expectations that she was going to come out as my kid again and all better. 
and super, super appreciative. Absolutely. Absolutely. You think that they're going to come back and say, oh, thank you so much. I just, I know now what I was doing was wrong. And I'm so sorry for everything I did, by the way. And I will never manipulate again. Nope. Nope. I'm all better. (laughs) Thank you guys. You're the best parents ever. Uh And that's exactly what happened, right? Exactly what happened. (laughs) So one month in, they do something special where they have a parents come spend a weekend uh, with their child and, and go through some of what they're going through. So you could better understand, better bond. They have a much more clear view of things after being sober for 30 days. So in this, this parent child weekend, uh, we've got, we got to spend a bunch of time talking. Uh, they wrote some stuff up about how they're thinking. We wrote stuff up before we got there about how we're thinking. And, and again, I know Chelsea's talked about this section in one of her other uh, uh, podcasts. podcasts. Uh, but from my perspective, uh, I thought the first two days were great. Actually, I thought the whole thing was really, really good because she got to talk about her origin and where she thinks everything came from. And we got to explain to her that it's a family trait. It's in the family. You know, she's, she, she's not bad. She's, you know, it's, it's a disease and it is uh, genetic. And most of it comes from her grandmother. Her grandmother had all the same problems, not problems really. That's a bad word. I had all the same challenges. And I think it goes farther than that. I'm sure um, her grandmother got it from her uh, genetics too, but we didn't know our tree back far enough. All we knew is is, uh, your parents, my parents, that's as far back as we can go to trace our tree. So it made it more difficult to see how it all came down through the generations. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. We went back, but we went back far enough that we could figure it out. but one of the things they did at the very, very end, and I, and I know Chelsea's talked about this before, but from my perspective, you know, they, they blindfolded us. They, they stuck us in this place. I, we had no idea where we were, but we were in a place that we were supposed to just try to get out of. There were ropes attached to trees, and the, it made a maze, and you were supposed to find your way through the maze while you were blindfolded. So, so myself... And Chelsea and a whole bunch of other parents were wandering the way through this thing in, you know, completely pitch dark. You couldn't see anything. You, you had to only use your hands to figure it out. And every once in a while, I heard someone say, hey, congratulations, you're out. Hey, good job. Way to go. How'd that work? And and all the kids who were there in rehab were watching the whole time. And they had already done this exercise. Right. So I kept hearing Chelsea laughing. And then finally, uh, I heard Casey laughing and Chelsea laughing and and, 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 and what I didn't realize was Chelsea was out like in three minutes. <laughs> and I kept hearing people going out, going out. Congratulations. Everybody cheering. This is 30 minutes into this thing. And I'm not going to let this thing beat me. I got it. So I was the only one in there. I didn't know I was the only one left. <laughs> but with 30, 40, 50, 60 people watching, I'm the only person in there still struggling to figure out a way out of this trap. And so what did you do? I don't know. I, th- I think I might have said some bad words. <laughs> but, and finally, I got a hint. You know, one of, the, one of the people that ran it kind of came up to a head and goes, hey, do you need help? Nope, I don't need any help. <laughs> I, I am good. Yeah. I'm going to get out of here. I do not need help, but thank you. <laughs> yeah. So he let me suffer for another 10 minutes. And he came back in and said, 
you sure you don't want to ask for help? I go, oh, yeah, can I have help? And that was it. That was the key to the whole event was we all need to realize that it's okay to ask for help. And I'd never asked for help for anything. So it was actually a really good learning lesson for me also. Absolutely. And then when it was all over with, they started talking about it. And it turned out that Casey had the same struggles that that you did, Richard. She um, was also the last one to get out of the ropes. And she also had the same trouble asking for any kind of help. So they, they said that it really shined a light on kind of the thinking and some of the troubles that we were having. I think there's another anecdote that explains our thinking for when we first took her to Nashville for her first rehab. Because before she was an addict, we were still experiencing issues and all of that. And there's another story that comes to mind um, when she was in high school and she had a friend over for a couple weeks. Richard, I think you may remember this one, and and why don't you tell this for us as far as what was happening and what she was doing, and then we can talk about our thought processes while it was going on. Okay, yeah. um, I'm kind of a clean freak, as as, uh, my daughter and wife know, so I was in cleaning her room. I mean, she was probably 17 years old at the time, probably a senior in high school. She was a year younger than anybody else in her high school. But so she was probably 16, 17 years old. Um, and she had this really cool bean bag we gave her that it was in her room, big purple bean bag. And, and I wanted to vacuum the room. So I picked the bean bag up and moved it to the side. And underneath the bean bag was something kind of unique. It was, it was one of those round screws that you screw into wood and then you hang ropes through so that it's like a base, a, a, a solid base that you would hang something from a plant. From a ceiling, you'd screw it into the ceiling. I thought it was special repelling screws. It was a screw that could be used to hold plants from ceilings. It could be used okay. for, for anything. But it had to be screwed into the second floor baseboard. And and, and I, I, I had no idea what that was, but I knew it wasn't good. So I looked around the room. I hunted through a whole bunch of things trying to tie this screw in the ground with this big loop in it to something. So what I, what I found was repelling equipment. So her friend had helped her learn some of the her favorite escape tricks. Uh, like earlier that week, we found that they had put little butterfly clips on all the alarm systems, figuring out which window was alarmed or which window wasn't, so they could repel out of and plan that escape route. So we were starting to get kind of concerned that she was that clever. Now. It was probably the best shape she'd ever been in because she had to get in shape to be able to repel back up. <laughs> Repelling down wasn't that hard, but she had to use those little hand grips that you grab one, then you grab another, then you grab, and you pull yourself all the way up a wall. And they were in the second story. They, they were, you know, 15 feet off the ground, repelling back into the window. Right. Every well, night. They came in through a different window, if you'll recall, because the dog clued that was us a, in. That was a different event. So okay. after, the, after they learned which windows you could escape from... <laughs> I would, I would, you know, the puppy would, our, our dog would run to the window and start barking at it. And I go, what, what, what are you barking at? And he go, come here, look. And I go, no, no, I'm watching TV. I'm not going to look. Come look. So I went over and looked and there was trash cans and 
ropes and jump ropes and boxes and everything outside the side window where she was now escaping because we had cut off the uh, repelling rope escape. Oh, right, right. So, uh, unfortunately, I sat there for about, this wasn't good for her, three or four hours, and and, and I might have had a, a little bit of brown water next to me waiting for them to come in the window. And by the time they came in the window, it was not a good evening for either one of them. <laughs> well, so uh, I remember you and I talking about how do we handle this? What are we thinking? And one of our constants, as I recall during that time, was us looking at each other and saying, if only she was an addict, because we were sure that she wasn't an addict at that point in time. We even had her, there was a different night, she was driving back from a, a house that she used to take friends to. Well, she was actually at a college party with her friend down where this college was. She was at a college party. Okay, and, and on the way back, she got pulled over by the police, and she was the one driving. They called, uh, the policeman called us, and said, hi, I have your daughter here. And I thought, oh, no, what's going on now? He said, no, she's stone cold sober. She hasn't been drinking. It's just everyone in the car is lit up. They are so drunk. But we just wanted to check out her story and if the car was okay for her to drive and so on. But she's she's fine to drive. So we knew that she wasn't using, we knew she wasn't getting drunk, she she wasn't doing any of that, yet she, we saw all these behaviors. And I we used to look at each other and we said, if only she was an addict, because then she we could fix her. And so I think it was that whole idea that it, that you can fix someone if they have a problem like that because you just send them off to rehab. So that kind of takes us back to how we were thinking about our first rehab experience. And um, it obviously needed to be debunked quickly because you can't fix an addict. You can't help an addict who doesn't want to be helped. And it's all within their choice, as I've always talked about. Any other thoughts, Richard? The only thought is, is it isn't necessarily a choice they're making to be an addict. It's a disease they have that they're an addict. So to understand that I can't fix a disease, right? You know, I, I can't, I can't, I can't uh, uh, shame someone because they have a disease. I can't fix it in the typical way you fix other problems, like make your bed, you know, clean your room, clean right. the bathroom, right. do your homework. You know, you can fix those because you put penalties and stuff by those. Um, you know, these are our expectations. It's pretty hard to have an expectation. Don't have cancer. Don't have heart disease. But don't she, be an can, <laughs> she can make a choice to say, I don't want this life anymore. And every day I'm going to put a foot in, for, in front of the other to get a cleaner, healthier lifestyle. But you got to, she had to know that she had a choice. She didn't know she had disease. Right. <laughs> she, right. Has, she had to go through all that education that she had gone through at the, at the rehabs and the detox places that gave her a really good education that she got to a place where she knew it was her choice, not our choice. She wasn't doing it to make us happy. She wasn't doing it to make her friends happy. She was doing it to keep herself alive. And it was totally her choice because she understood the consequences. And she understood that she shouldn't be shamed for it. It's a disease, not a crime. And yet, in the end, it took her 
over 10 years and she didn't make that choice until there was nowhere else for her to go. Yep. And everybody's different. And Absolutely. it goes, it goes back to the stubbornness that both her and I have of not asking for help. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. I'll talk to you in two weeks with one of my normal episodes. And if you enjoyed it, please leave a review at your podcast site to help others find it. You can also find me on Twitter at Chelsea's Jungle if you want to leave comments or questions. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Music is Riding the Dragon by Movie Theater. Thank you.